glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, stand with me if you would then, please, as we read these first eight verses. Beginning verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I, might be, that I may be filled with joy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Thank you. You may be seated. The word ashamed is used in this chapter three times. It's used in verse 8. It's used in verse 12. It's used again in verse 16. In verse 8, Paul is using it in reference to Timothy not being ashamed of him. Don't be and of the testimony of the Lord. We'll get to that. It'll be our final point in our message. Verse 12, Paul is speaking of his not being ashamed of Christ. And he said the same thing in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation uh, to, uh, to all the believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So here again in verse 12, Paul said, I know whom I have believed and I persuade that he is able to keep that which is committed against that day. And he began that verse with saying, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. In verse 16, he's speaking of a man named Onesiphorus, who oft refreshed him and was not ashamed of my chain. Paul is in a chain. Here's the practicality of it. Onesiphorus came to Rome and was not ashamed to go visit Paul in prison and be identified with Paul. How many of you and I, how many of us know that we share in the afflictions of people who are afflicted when we identify with them. Now, let me just kind of con- try to continue to put this in context. We're living in a, in a time where there are many who will openly oppose the biblical doctrine of separation from the world, but they themselves practice separation from faithful brethren because they don't want to be identified with them. Meaning, they'll say something like this, I don't attend that church... I don't listen to that kind of preaching because they preach on separation. Now just ponder that for a minute. So you ask people, would you attend that church? No, never. Why? Well, because they're unloving and they practice, they may not say it this way, but they don't believe in loving people and, and so forth. And so you demonstrate your love for those folks by not having anything to do with them, right? You with me? Everybody believes in separation. You just got to figure out who you're going to separate from and who you're going to separate to. Who you separate to will determine who you separate from. And my point is this. There were those who were practicing separation from the Apostle Paul because he was living genuine Christianity. It was costing him, and they were ashamed to be identified with him. If I get too close to Paul, everybody will think that I'm like him 
And I don't want to do that. They'll think I'm a nut. They'll think I'm a, a, a heretic. They'll think I'm a... You fill in the blank. And today we need to be discerning and realize this is one of Satan's most crafty tools to, to cause affliction through those who are under his influence on true servants of God in order to terrorize the rest of us into drawing back from our service to the Lord. If you study terrorism, you know what the goal of terrorism is? This, is, this will shock you, to terrify people. <laughs> if terrorists can make an event large enough to get the attention of an entire community, they can rule that community without more bombs. They can rule you with fear. They've done it in the United States since 2001, quite effectively, 2000, 2001, 9-11. Quite effectively, the, 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 the bomb and the threat of the fear that was created by the attack on our country has been used effectively to manipulate certain things at times. And, and this is the goal of terrorism. It's the goal of it. And Satan is called the king of terrors. And I believe that I don't believe we're in any way, shape, or form taking Scripture. We're, we're dealing with it exactly in the context it's in. When Paul is writing to Timothy, Paul is in prison, separated from his fellow laborer, and Timothy is obviously feeling the effects of that because Paul has to tell him, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, Timothy, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And you can tell what's going on here. We'll get into that in the middle point. But let me just begin with this in verses 1 through 5. I'm going to give you three things about Timothy in this text. Number one, it is very clear Timothy was cherished. It's very clear in this text that Timothy was cherished. Verse 2, he says, To Timothy my... What's the next two words? Dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears, that I might be filled with joy. Now, Paul is, is demonstrating compassion toward Timothy, and you must understand, Paul's going to give Timothy a pretty good charge about faithfulness, but before he does, Timothy is reminded that he's cherished. May I say this, no one loves more deeply than people who have understood the deep love of the Lord for them. Paul understood what it was to love the Lord. He understood what it was to love people. I have no doubt there were times he was, he, I'm certain he had to be accused of being an unloving person. But he's going to tell Timothy, I want you to know you're a cherished person. May I say tonight, and especially to, to the young people, uh, when, 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 when God saves you, no one is going to love you more than those who have led you to the Lord. You're precious and constantly in, in my prayers and the prayers of others who love and care for you. And I say that to say this, we have to establish that Timothy was cherished because Paul's going to tell him to go forward into the afflictions. And there may be our, our cheap concept of love that's pushed in our culture says, if you love people, you do anything and everything to help them avoid pain. This is not true. This is not true. Our Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he laid down his life for us, paid fully for our sins, yet he said, take up your cross daily and follow me. And so then we see that Timothy was cherished. Now you can see that for through a number of things. Paul's care for him. He said, I have remembrance of thee night and day, uh, not ceasing to pray for you and, and have remembrance of you in my prayers. 
night and day. Uh, Paul is mindful of his tears. That's, that's, that is compassion. Paul knew that the circumstance Timothy was in was causing him to weep. Again, we might have in our minds a troubled 18-year-old who's never seen affliction like this. That's not the case. This is a grown man who's been in the ministry for years. We're talking about a trial that was shaking Timothy's life, causing him to weep. And Paul is saying, Timothy, I know that the circumstances of life right now are causing you great grief. I am mindful of that. And because of the grief that the ministry is bringing your way and that my affliction is bringing your way, I am mindful of you night and day. I'm praying for you. I want you to know the Lord loves you, but I love you. You are cherished to me. You're precious to me. Paul's care for him shows that he was cherished. Paul's concern, his compassion, and then not only that, but Paul's confidence in him. Paul says this. He says, uh, uh, when, verse 5, when I call to remembrance, said, so I want to see you. Paul says, if I could see you, Timothy, I would be filled with joy. You're, ha- you're having tears, but if I could see you, that would give me great joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Paul reminds Timothy, he said, Timothy, I have seen in you genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Unfeigned means I know you weren't pretending. It's sincere. And all of this tells how deeply Paul loves him, how sincerely and how personally he knows him. It says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So he's going to encourage Timothy at the onset by communicating to him you are cherished. I'll say it again. Uh, how many times, and this is important in, our, in the context of this, how many times do we depart from someone God has put in our life who genuinely, sincerely loves us, and we go and get under someone who genuinely and sincerely doesn't love us because loyalty to the truth and loyalty to those who genuinely love us has a price tag that we're not willing to pay. You, I've seen this in homes where a child gets disgruntled at their parents. That parent's heart is broken. You can see it in Luke chapter 15 with the prodigal son. Who loved that boy more than that daddy? But staying with daddy meant there were rules and regulations and all these things that boy didn't want. And he left daddy to go to the far country. And I would assume in the far country where there's money in the pocket jingling and people wanted in on his money, they probably told that boy anything he wanted to hear. And I'm saying this tonight, that many times God has placed people in our lives who genuinely love us, people who pray for us night and day, but because of the hardship affiliated with being identified with them, we'll leave a genuinely caring situation. Turning aside, if you'll stay in the way of truth, let me say this, if you'll be loyal to the Word of God, God will put people in your life that will minister to you. Genuinely and sincerely minister to you. How many folks, as I began to say, have left either children in a home or people under a pastor who loves them or a Sunday school teacher who ministered to them, prayed for them, poured their lives in them to go sit under a charlatan because that was an easier path. And I believe Paul is reminding him Look, I have a personal investment in you. I love you, Timothy. You're my son in the faith. You are beloved to me. And out of that is going to come some very heartfelt challenge from Paul to Timothy. Timothy was cherished. We see that in Paul's care for him, Paul's concern for him, Paul's compassion toward him, Paul's confidence in his faith. By Paul reminding Timothy, you have unfeigned faith, he is reminding him, you're not a fraud, and I know that, and he's encouraging him, strengthening him to remind him, What you have is genuine. It was first in your grandmother and in your mother, and I see it in you also. 
And so having established his care for him and his confidence in him, then Paul says in verse 6, Wherefore, because of the unfeigned faith that I know is in you, Timothy, I've got some things I want to say to you. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Uh, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. If you were to come in on a conversation with me and my children, and I said, look, I want you guys to show more initiative. I want you to show more initiative. I want you to see a task in the house that needs to be done. If there's trash that needs to be hauled out, or if there's something out of place, just show some initiative and get that picked up. If you heard that commandment, what would you assume? Is that just some counsel or is that correction? Yeah, there's correction in that counsel. When I read, wherefore, stir up the gift that is in thee, wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift. You know what I'm hearing? Timothy was letting some things go dormant. Timothy was not attending to his responsibility as a gifted man of God as he should. It seems to me that Paul's difficulty in the context of Scripture had had a chilling effect on Timothy's personal activity in the things of God. I'll say this. You watch people who are loyal to the truth come under fire for it, it can cause us to back off and say, you know, I think I'll just kind of cruise along. I don't think I want to be so closely identified with people who are so fervent for the Lord. And so then we've gone now from the fact that Timothy was cherished. Because he was cherished, then Paul says, now you're going to be challenged. I'm going to put you in remembrance. Wherefore, because I love you, because you're precious to me, because you have unfeigned faith, because you're not playing games on God, because you truly belong to him, because you're a genuine servant of God, you have the gift of God to serve you by the laying on of my hands. Paul's laying on of hands was a recognition and, and an acknowledgement, even a transference as an apostle of a spiritual gifting to Timothy to use in the service of the Lord. And Paul says, I know you and I know what you have and therefore I'm going to challenge you. Uh, and, and he's going to charge him. And in the midst of this, there is a challenge for Timothy in his circumstances because of Paul's present problems we've, we've addressed and that becomes Timothy's future prospect. So what Paul is going to, again, just all we have to use is some common sense and say, if Paul is saying, you've been gifted to serve the Lord in a similar capacity to me, the message has to be the same. He tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, preach the word. 2 Timothy 2, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. Paul doesn't do like we might today in a pragmatic way of thinking. Now, Timothy, I did ministry this way. When I would go into a town, I was just very bold and open. I would go where prayer was wanted to be made or something like that. And I would go to the synagogues and I would preach. And I would just go directly from the scripture and preach Christ. And I realized that people were getting offended at that. The Jewish people thought I was suggesting that they were sinners like the Gentiles. And they got envious and they tried to stone me. Now, Timothy, I don't want you to have the same heartaches in ministry I did. So what I want you to do is I want you to go into the community and I want you to get them to like you first. And then if you have the chance, you can slip the gospel in on them without them knowing. Tracking with me tonight? That's not what Paul told him. Paul said, Timothy, the doctrine I got came from God and I'm giving you what he gave me. Don't change it. The same. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, came to turn us from our iniquities, to reconcile us to God. Timothy, that's what you've got to preach, Jew and Gentile alike. 
it's going to cost you like it cost me. And what, here's a great opportunity for Paul to change the message and the methodology of ministry in order to have better results. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, turn there with me if you would very quickly. So we have the context of the book. I, I want us to get the context of this. A lot of the changes we have taking place in our world today, both of message and method, is a response to affliction, not a response to the Holy Spirit. It's a response to difficulty, not a response to God. It is not a response. It is, an, it is a reaction to the price tag for faithfulness. And God would have us to be faithful to His Word and faithful to those who are faithful to His Word. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 4 in verse 15. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. You know, Paul saying, I'm not going to try to take vengeance. I'm going to leave that with the Lord. Lord, he'll have to deal with the Lord about that. Of whom be thou where also. Timothy Alexander is still a threat. As he was to me, so he is to you. For he hath greatly withstood our words. Notice in verse 16 though. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me in his heavenly kingdom, so on and so forth. He gives a list of, of people in Second Timothy. If you back up just a little bit, he talks about the fact in verse uh, 10, in verse 9, Do thy diligence to come unto, shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee. You can hear in Paul a loneliness. He said, when Onesiphorus was here, he says this in chapter 1, he came by and, and, and encouraged me. He said, but right now, only Luke is here. And when I first stood, when I first took my stand on the Word of God, nobody stood with me. May I say this? May those who stand with the Lord count on us to stand with them. Yes, we need people to stand alone, but they shouldn't stand alone because we're not willing to stand with them. You know what Paul's telling Timothy? He's saying, Timothy, I understand you know what the Word of God has cost me. But I'm going to remind you of who you are. You are a young person who knows the Word of God. You're a, you're a man at this point who you have had a tradition of unfeigned faith passed on to you. And I, I know you are challenged you are challenged. You are first, you're cherished. And I know you're challenged at this time. Timothy, we know Timothy was challenged because he had tears. Paul has to tell him, God has not given us the spirit of fear. That word fear means intimidation. You know what the devil loves to do is to intimidate us to be disloyal to the word of God, to intimidate us, to be disloyal, to silence us, to shut our mouths, to get us to let somebody else stand and pay a price. What well, we back and saying, whoo, boy, I hate that. That's, that's his tactic. He uses fear. His roar as a lion is to cause us to tremble and to flee. And what Paul is saying is to Timothy, I know you're challenged. But first of all, in your challenge, know that I, the Apostle Paul, I love you. You're in my prayers night and day. I care about you. And it's out of that care for you and the faith you have in Christ in the midst of your challenges that it brings us to our final point that Paul's going to charge him with some things. The Timothy's challenge was this. He had present... Paul's present problems represented Timothy's future prospects. 
Paul's present problems represented Timothy's future prospects, and that resulted in present pain in Timothy's life. I, I share this and preach it, and I've shared it with you many times. But for me, as a young person, where Satan snared me was through intimidation. He intimidated me. I began to look at the lives of those who were living what they preached to me. I didn't care about the people that preached to me didn't live what they preached. It didn't matter to me. That's a hypocrite. I began to examine the lives of those who were actually living according to what they preached to me. And I began to realize their present situation is my future. You know what I did? I was genuinely saved, genuinely born again. I believe at that time already genuinely called of God. Didn't recognize it yet. But I began to look at that and say, I think I want to go undercover as a Christian. I believe I want to go undercover. I don't want to position myself with them because if I do, I'll receive the criticism they receive. I'll receive the the jeering. Do Do you realize, how many of us understand the word stigma? You understand the word stigma? So someone has a stigma about them. Um, we see certain people about and um, they, they, they wear certain garb affiliated with their religion. If they're in the wrong part of the country, there is a stigma attached, right? Say, oh, that's one of those, you know, one of those people. Uh, the word marks, Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, meaning he had literal scars on his body for his trust in Jesus Christ. That word marks is the Greek word stigma. There is a stigma attached to being identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Stigma means it is a cultural viewpoint that makes you feel ashamed in the presence of others. And what Timothy is under pressure is to feel ashamed for his relation to the Word of God. He truly trusted the testimony of the Lord to be true. He believed what Paul had preached, but now if he identifies with it, there is a shame attached in the culture to that. It's called intimidation. And when someone treats you like you're an idiot for what you believe, it is to shut your mouth. It is to get you to pretend you don't believe it. And what Paul is telling Timothy is, I know you aren't pretending, so don't pretend you don't believe. <laughs> He's going to charge him not to be ashamed. And so Timothy was cherished, Timothy was challenged, but Timothy was charged. Verse 6, Paul charges him by remembrance. He says in verse 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stirred the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on my hands. He said, Paul, Timothy, I'm using this reminder of who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminding you that you're cherished because you're my son in the faith. I'm reminding you of the unfeigned faith of your mother and your grandmother and the unfeigned faith you have so that you remember you are genuinely and sincerely gifted of God to serve Him. May I say this, we often need reminded of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to remind us we're not playing games. What we're in is a real conflict between good and evil, between right and wrong, between truth and lies. And when God convinced our hearts of the truth, He truly did. And when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, He truly saved you. And He truly gave you the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, we should not treat it like it's a fable. I'm going to stir you up. I'm going to put you in remembrance for the purpose of you stirring up the gift of God that is in you. So he charges Timothy to be reminded of some things. He charges him to have some personal revival. That's what stirring up is. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. That's not talking about salvation. That's a result of salvation, the gift he had to serve the Lord. So he calls him to revival. 
But the heart of our message is here in the end, in verses 7 and 8. And he says in verse 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Here's why. For God has not given us the spirit of fear. Meaning if you're not active in your service for the Lord because of, of your fear of man, if you're not stirring up the, the very talents and the gift God has given you to take a stand for Christ, Timothy was a gifted preacher. If you're not stirring that up and speaking up, it's because of fear. And God didn't give you that, Timothy. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Timothy, that's not coming. And listen, young people especially, the nature of watching sincere people who love the Lord suffer for righteousness' sake is to to chill your faith in the Lord, to cause you to tuck your spiritual gifting away somewhere, keep it to yourself, pretend for a bit you're an unbeliever. Can you think of an example in Scripture where that happened? How about the Apostle Peter? The Apostle Peter saw the affliction of his master and he thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pretend I am not one of his. I, Peter all of a sudden becomes ashamed of the testimony of the Lord and of the Lord himself. He is ashamed to be attached to Christ, so he started following afar off. And I believe Paul sensed this in Timothy when he writes 2 Timothy 1. He said, Paul, or Timothy, you've got to stir up the gift that is in you because God didn't give you the spirit of fear. The Lord did not give you that sense of intimidation of what will people think of me. You know what intimidation is? If I say that I believe that, what will my coworker think? If I say that I believe that, what will my backslidden friend think? That's a word we don't hear much anymore, backslidden. Somebody that used to be in the will of God and now is not. Somebody that used to be walking with God and now is not. What will that person think of me? Will they mock me? Will they call me one of those narrow-minded bigots? Will they call me a Bible thumper? Will they call me a legalist? Will they tell me I'm brainwashed? I can just tell, I've been told all those things in my life. Been told we're brainwashing our children. Been told we're raising them in a cult. Been told we're raising them to... You know, all sorts of things. Been told that that's what happened to us. We were brainwashed. You say, how do you avoid that? You don't. You don't. You embrace it. Now, if you're, if that's what we're doing, may God help us. But if being loyal to this book means I'm a cultist, call me a cultist. Say what you must. If being loyal to this book means I'm brainwashed, I'll admit it. I need my brainwashed. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way. And I'm telling you, please hear me tonight. We have a whole generation of people trying to develop a Christianity that is able to avoid the afflictions associated with loyalty to the Word of God. And Paul tells Timothy, I'm going to charge you, that's not the answer. The answer is not changing course. The answer is not changing the doctrines I delivered to you. The answer is not developing a method of ministry and a method of Christianity that is so like the world that they can't tell the difference so they don't pay you any persecution for it. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I would love you say, Boy, you're going to really encourage young people to serve the Lord tonight. How Paul told Timothy, he didn't say, Timothy, I'm telling you, if you do it right, you won't suffer like I did. You know, he told him there is a price in this life, but the glory that will be revealed there is not to be compared. You cannot compare the payoff with the price. Yes, Timothy, you're going to suffer here, but there in God, but godliness is profitable. Meaning, when you step out of this world into the next, you'll be glad you were loyal to his testimony. 
That's how he charged him. He didn't offer him a Christianity free of persecution, free of ridicule. He said, no, that's part of the price for being loyal, but you have the grace of God not to avoid it, but to endure it. And oh, beware tonight of a Christianity that relieves you of your cross because it's not Christianity. If I can have some form of faith that doesn't bring the ridicule and scorn of the world, it's not faith. Remember, this world is still in animosity against God. And so if we have, if our belief system is appealing to them in a fleshly sense, there's something not right. So Paul charged Timothy to have remembrance. He charged him to have revival. He charged him to have resolve. By that I mean this. He says, what he says, he says in verse 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. I said this in preaching the men the other night. We as preachers can tell if we are by what portions of Scripture we might not be willing to preach. Let me ask you this. Are there certain portions of Scripture you say, we're okay with you preaching it, but we're not okay with people knowing we're sitting under it being preached? <laughs> if people knew that's what our church believed, my goodness, they'd think I was part of some kind of a cult. Well, if that's something I made up, then leave. and Don't be under a man that would lead you into a cult. I'll promise you that. That's a bad idea. But if it's God's Word... How many times are we ashamed of what the Bible says? Does it ever happen? Where we know what the Bible says, we're in the midst of a conversation, we know what God has to say on an issue. I got news for you today. There is shaming done over standing as a Christian for believing that a man should marry a woman. That's how far we've come. Where there are churches in the name of love saying we are willing to accept, and I know that's extreme, I understand that. But I never thought I'd see the day where churches change their position on such basic issues. And the goal of this message is not to preach that tonight. It just tells us how far we have slipped in intimidation from the world. I believe the average Christian is very intimidated by nature by what the world thinks of this book. And Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, you see what it's cost me to be loyal to what the Word of God is. But I'm charging you, don't change your loyalty to the testimony. Double down. Be not thou therefore ashamed of me, of the testimony of our Lord. Then he says this, nor of me his prisoner. He says in verse 8 again, be not thou therefore, because God didn't give you the spirit of fear. God did not give you this sense of being ashamed of truth, this sense of being ashamed of me who, have, who served the Lord in the truth. It's Paul speaking. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. He's charging Timothy, you know what, you, you resolve to, you have nothing to be, if it's the word of God, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, and then it goes on to say, nor of me his prisoner. And I guess this is part of what I believe the Lord's burdened my heart with. There are people who are going to be loyal to God's word, and in the Christian circles, even in so-called Christian circles, going to be mocked, ridiculed. May I say this again, though? It is wrong of us to let those who hate truth cause us to be disloyal to people who love it. That's a wrong thing. We should be loyal to those who are loyal to the Word of God. And Paul's telling Timothy very personally, Timothy, don't, don't be ashamed. Would you ever think that Paul would have to tell Timothy, don't be ashamed of me? But he did. You know, there's been times I've been tempted in my flesh to withdraw from people while they're in the heat of a battle. 
to say something like this. Well, I understand where they stand, but to try to reconcile with the enemies of truth, friend, we can't do that. Let us never be ashamed of those who are unashamed of the Word of God. Those who stand on what the Bible says, what the Bible means, let us be unashamed of the testimony of our Lord and of those who are His prisoners. Meaning, Paul had been bound and was suffering personal cost for his faithfulness to the Word of God. And so he calls Timothy to remembrance. He charges him to be reminded to personal revival, stir up the gift that is in thee, to resolve not to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of him as prisoner. I mean, don't get your attitude that way. Uh, and then fourthly, by reliance upon the power of God. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me as prisoner, but be thou, here's that resolve, partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. He said, There are certain afflictions and hardships which come that come with believing the gospel, believing the good news concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation by grace through faith in Him. There are afflictions that are going to come with that. And instead of trying to... May I put it this way? You know why Galatians got in doctrinal trouble? The Galatian churches got in doctrinal trouble. They began to receive a works-based salvation. You know why? Because there was such severe persecution for teaching and preaching that it was by faith in Christ alone without the works of the law. Paul makes it very clear in the book of Galatians. He said that, that if, he, if he went the direction they would, then, the, then the, the, the suffering of the cross would cease, the affliction, the persecution that came to the cross of Christ, believing that our salvation is through what he's done for us. There is pressure by an unbelieving, lost religious world to change our doctrine, to modify the gospel from being by faith in Christ alone to including the works of men because it's pride and then there's persecution coupled with that as we see throughout Scripture. And so Paul is reminding Timothy, no, no, you just be a, be a partaker of the afflictions. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus. He tells him in verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There comes a point in the life of every Christian where we realize there are pains attached to loyalty to God's word. And the counsel of the Apostle Paul who cherished Timothy so deeply was partake of it. Don't steer around it. Let me give you an analogy. The analogy would be this. You've got a course that's been charted for you. Um, you're an airplane pilot. And you have been given a, a clear course. You have it mapped out. You have that approved uh, prior to your trip. And you know your course. And as you're going along, you're, getting, you're, you're going along, you notice you've got to fly into a storm. And you think, you know, the better thing for me to do is to avoid this. I remember hearing a story one time of a man who was flying, I believe it was in Alaska, and he had to navigate between a couple of mountains. And the story went on that he had to trust his instruments. And instead, of, because if you went too far left, you're into, you're into the mountaintops. You go too far right in the mountaintops. He had to trust his instruments and fly through the storm. And we have a temptation to want to avoid the storms. We want to avoid the afflictions. And what Paul says is, no, what happens is God has what you need to partake of them. May I say this, where we swerve off course, where we swerve off course, you know what, as long as the sea is smooth, your course is easy to stay on. But when there's a storm in the midst of the course, we want to change course. Go to 1 Timothy 1, if you would. With that analogy of a ship or a pilot in an airplane taking on a course, and the only course is to go through the storm, not around the storm, that seems to be the analogy put here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
1 Timothy chapter 1, we find in verse 5, Paul tells Timothy, now the end of the commandment, the goal, the outcome that we're looking for, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, that's that unfeigned faith, and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. So he mentions a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. He says that's the end of the commandment. So if you obey the commandment I've given you, the, the result will be charity out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. Verse 6, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. Meaning, that vain jangling means random talk, babble. They have veered off from the, from the sound doctrine of God's word into babbling. Why? Because they got off course. They swerved off the goal. Why would you swerve? Because there's afflictions in the path. You know what my nature is with afflictions? Avoid them. God says don't avoid them. Partake of them. Now, 1 Timothy 1, 19, 18, 19. We're almost done. Verse 18, Paul says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith, your confidence in the word of God, and a good conscience. Don't violate your conscience by being disloyal to the truth. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. I use this as an analogy with our children of the day in devotions. If you're on this course, you're on this course in a ship, and all of a sudden there's stormy waters, and you say, you know what? We have to avoid the storm at any cost. And so the changing of your course is like the changing of your doctrine. When you shift course, you know what you're going to do? You're going to hit the rocks and make shipwreck. When the afflictions come, and I especially have a heart for our young people here tonight, when the afflictions come that are attached with the truth of God's word, don't swerve. Don't say, you know what, never mind that, I'm going to go over here. Just hold your course, and you know how you do it. Paul said, be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Timothy, you're not going to be able to endure the afflictions in your power. You're going to have to live by faith, look to the Lord, and let him transfer his strength to you so that you can endure the afflictions, and so that you can partake of them. Ephesians three sixteen and 20 remind us of the power of God that's working in us. And we are reminded, Philippians four thirteen, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Young people, as you become young adults, you're going to look ahead of you and see some people who've been loyal to the Word of God, and you're going to see a price tag attached in their lives. You're going to say, their future is my, is my prospect. Is there not a, another course that won't cost me what it's cost them? There is, but it'll cost you more. It won't cost you a storm. It'll cost you a wreck. I've watched this over and over and over and over, and my experience is not the authority. All I can say is it, it reveals the authority of God's Word. You can choose a different course, a course that won't cost you in the moment, but it'll cost you long term. And so tonight the charge from Paul to Timothy is be not ashamed. Don't ever be ashamed to be loyal to what this book says. And don't ever be ashamed to be loyal to those who are loyal to this. No matter what kind of criticism or ridicule or physical suffering or pain, let us not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of His prisoners. Amen. Mm-hmm.